Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. Hey, good morning, church. We are going to be resuming our Saints and Sinners series this morning. But before we do, I've just got some quick announcements. This is two weeks in a row that you have me for announcements. You know, last week I was, Jamie and I were not here. We were gone to Bristol to celebrate Jamie's mother's 80th birthday. And so we surprised her and she stayed alive. And um, (laughs) we had like several surprises of people showing up. She had no idea. She just thought, well, I'll be spending my 80th birthday and I'm just going to have some Mexican food and that'll be it. And, And we just had more people showing up and at the, at the very last one, um, my sister-in-law, Lori, from Colorado, showed up, and she's like, is this the last surprise? Because I think this is all my heart can take. <laughs> I was like, I thought these were good surprises. They are good surprises, but uh, please, if there's anything else, please tell me. So anyway, it was a great time with our family. Um, so anyway, we had a great men's breakfast yesterday morning. Uh, we had about 20 guys or so here, and we uh, talked about why men don't pray, but how to fix it. And we were in the uh, Daniel chapter 6, and it was so good. And then, of course, uh, we had broke up into small groups afterwards and discussed some things and prayed together. And it was interesting because I asked out of all the guys that were here, how many of you grew up in a home with, like, active, vibrant prayer? And there were three of us that raised their hands out of 20 guys. And so you got, like, you know, 17 other households represented who either had zero prayer growing up, didn't say that they were, didn't grow up in a Christian home, but they just, the prayer was not evident and active and vibrant in their home when growing up. Or some of the guys that raised their hands, uh, they said, you know, I had prayer in our homes, but it was, it was rote. It was out li- without life. It was, you know, uh, this is just kind of we're praying this because this is what we do. And I just thought, Three out of 20, three households out of 20. What an opportunity we have to not drop the ball in our generation. You know, where our parents, some of our parents maybe didn't give us the heritage of prayer. Uh, they, maybe our grandparents didn't set us up, our, their families up well when it came to this. We are not going to do that with the next generation. Our children and our grandchildren will know what it looks like to have their fathers be men of prayer, and their mothers be men of prayer. Amen? Where we're making our homes an altar where the presence of God can rule and reign and worship and prayer are being offered up. Amen? Amen. So anyway, it was a great men's breakfast. Also, today is day seven of our Seek Week. And so um, this has been an incredible week. Last week, we sent every household home with a box. Jamie mentioned this earlier. And every day, there was a specific prayer focus, and there were some things to engage our little kids. You know, how many of you guys got on day two got the little plastic swords out that represented, you know, the Word of God, alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, right? Hebrews 4.12. And, you know, we were going to just put one little sword in each of the packets, and, but we, you know, we thought, no, let's have, let the families have sword fights. So <laughs> we, we sent everybody home with several swords. But anyway, these are just simple activities to engage our family in building uh, the, the muscle and strengthening the muscle and establishing prayer in our homes and building our homes to be an altar. 
And so if you didn't, like, if you started out strong and you had, didn't finish well through the week, uh, pick up where you left off. The, the, the point of Seek Week and the point of each one of these days being a prayer focus wasn't just to do it. That it's a tool to help us in our homes make our homes an altar. And so if, if you left off somewhere, pick back up this week where you left off and gather the family uh, for the first day, we were in Bristol, and we took our seek box with us, and my two older kids from college were with us, and so we sat down at the table. We had extended family uh, that were there as well, sitting at the table with us. Not all of them, but some of them did, and they engaged with us, and it was awesome, but then the second day, my kids were back to college, and we were back home here in Middle Tennessee, and I thought, well, how can I engage my kids who are in college, and so I just took a a, you know, a snapshot of the, the, that day's, you know, devotional, and I sent it to them, and then I, I believe that day we were um, praying over God's Word, and so we were praying God's identity over us through God's Word, and so just sent my kids a voice memo, and the next day my son had re- responded, and he was, you know, I was like, awesome, praise God, and so the, again, the point is to, these are tools for you to use. It's not like, well, I just have to execute this. No, you take it, you adapt it to make it work, to make your home an altar of prayer and worship to the Lord. And so maybe you, you executed everything perfectly. Maybe you sat down with the kitchen ta- at the kitchen table with the entire family this morning and you finished up day seven. Awesome, good for you. That's wonderful. Now repeat it. The, like, don't get rid of that box. Don't get rid of that journal. These are prayer focuses that you can continue to build this muscle and strengthen the muscle of prayer in your homes. And we do this because we believe that prayer makes a difference for eternity. We believe that we pray to a God who delights in our prayers, that he's, he's listening to us, that he loves it when we pray, and that he is working, he's active in the earth today. And the, the first place that we get to partner with him is in the place of prayer. And so just continue strong as you, your family seeks the Lord and you're making your home an altar. Today, Right after the service, we have training meetings for our kids' team and for our youth team. And so uh, if, if you've signed up for that, great. We've got lunch and child care provided for you. If you have been through, if you're not on either one of those teams, but you've been through DNA and uh, you're interested in, in serving in one of those two teams, I bet you 100 bucks that our, our, our Seeds kids and Seeds youth leaders would love to talk to you and maybe even you could stay in for after the training. So if you're interested in serving with youth, you can see Mr. Scott Asher, everybody, Scott, wave to everybody here. And then um, Kirby uh, Dudley is over in Seeds Kids Elementary, and Amber Vaughn is over with Seeds Kids Early Childhood with babies and toddlers, and so you can visit with them if you're like, I don't know who those people are. Ask somebody, and we will, I'll be happy to introduce you to them. So, praise God for that. And then also, we want to let you know that Baptism Sunday is October 1st. And so, if you are a Christian and you've not ever been water baptized, this is your next step in your spiritual journey. And so, when we do this, we do it out of obedience to Christ. We do it out of obedience to the Word of God. Uh, when we go under the water, it represents our old sinful self, our sinful nature. It is being buried. It is died with Christ. When we come up out of the water, it represents that we are raised to new life with Christ. We have a new identity. Amen. Praise God. So if you uh, need to be water baptized, you can go to our website, seedschurchtn.com, and sign up for baptism. And also, if you're just like, well, I'm just interested about baptism, 
there's information there for you as well. If your child um, is interested in being baptized, there's also resources to help you walk through this process with your child and make sure that they understand and ask them some questions. Because we're not against children being baptized. We want them to be set on the trajectory as early as they can to love and serve Jesus all the days of their life. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, well, saints and sinners, we're in part three today. We, we took a, uh, a break for a couple of weeks. And several Christmases ago, I bought Jamie um, for Christmas this year, this one year, I bought her a subscription to Ancestry.com. And we'd been seeing the commercials a few, you know, for over and over and over, ramping up into Christmas, and she had said something about it. At one point, you know, hey, I'd really like to, you know, check this out and look into this. You know, she'd grow up, grown up her entire life hearing about how, you know, she was of uh, Norwegian descent and, and she grew up in, in Iowa around these communities. And so she's like, yeah, I want to check this out. So I bought her a subscription to Ancestry.com and they sent her a kit in the mail and she swabbed her mouth and put it in like the little sterile package mailed it back to them, and then about six to eight weeks, you know, your results show up in your inbox, and she found out she was not Norwegian at all, although it was her culture, it was the culture she grew up in, but you, you found out you're predominantly Welsh. Uh, you know, I, I've talked to a few other people who've done this, and they've grown up, you know, all the years, and they've heard throughout the family, like, well, I've got, you know, some Cherokee in my background, and then you go, and you run the DNA test, and you're like, no, I have zero Cherokee in my background, and but I'm 3% Jewish, so that's cool. <laughs> Scott, uh, he, he did one of these. He found out he actually was 1% Native American. I don't know which tribe per se, but um, when you see him, you can pass him the peace pipe. Um, <laughs> any, anyway, uh, they, they can help you. This is cool because it helps you connect with distant relatives and uh, Jamie, as a matter of fact, this is a story for another day, but she actually discovered uh, through Ancestry.com a whole side of her family um, that she never even knew existed. And so that, that's, that's a story for another time, but it is remarkable. But why are people so interested in this you know, DNA research and their ancestry, researching their family tree? It's because people want to know who they are. They're wanting to know their identity. And who you are, it's more than just what you look like. It's more than just where you live. It's more than just where you go to work. It's more than your hobbies or your interests. There are things in our background that have shaped who you are, whether you know it or not. Which I think even goes to prove the point of what we were saying about earlier when we said how many of us grew up in homes where there is, was vibrant, active prayer, and we could probably, if we were to share stories, those of us that did grow up in those homes, we could probably see the differences between those of us who did and those of us who did not. So there, there's things that in our background that shape us, whether we know it or not, and, and we're typically, we, we all typically have some kind of desire and longing to discover our true identity. So the big question is, so what we said a couple weeks ago is, who do you think you are, right? Turn to the person next to you and just tell, ask them right now. Say, who do you think you are? Now, I'll say it with a little bit more accusation. Who do you think you are? Casey, you are really good at that. You've practiced. 
Oh, don't incriminate yourself, brother. We, a few weeks ago, we, we asked this question, and, um, you know, the answer to that question has everything to do with the way that you live your life. But the caveat is not that just, it's, it's not just about who you are, it's who you think you are. Kind of like when Jamie was growing up her entire life thinking that she was Norwegian. And so she ate all the, I mean, her, you and your whole family, you ate these Norwegian foods and some of them were disgusting. <laughs> now I will say, some of the Norwegian baked goods are amazing. They're amazing. But a lot of this other stuff is just kind of like, that's really bland and nasty. And it's not about just who you are. It's who you think you are. Who you think you are. That's the deciding factor in the way that you think, in the way that you feel, in the way that you act, which is why we see the identity crisis that we're seeing in the Western culture today. In the Western world today, we, we see this, well, you know, what do I feel? You know, we, we have people who live their lives in online communities. They live their life on social media. And they're just, it's always in front of them all the time. All the, all the time. Joshua and I were talking about this the other day, um, just yesterday after the men's breakfast, that the mantra of, the t- of today is, is do whatever feels good to you. Do whatever makes you feel happy. And anybody that tells you what you're doing is wrong or gets in your way, they're the enemy. And it, so there's this, this idea of, well, whatever it is that I feel, that's who I am. And that's not necessarily true. But whatever it is that you feel or think that you are will determine how you think, feel, and act. It'll determine how you speak. And so that, again, that's why we've got this identity crisis. I'm going to ask you today to uh, stand with me. We're going to read from the Word of God. So let's, let's stand as we honor God's Word. And today we're going to be in the book of Ephesians like we have been in this series. And we're going to be in chapter 4 where the Apostle Paul is writing about the new identity that we have in Christ. And as we read this, think about what Paul is describing and contrast it to the world that we live in today. Okay? Just think about it like, oh, wow. This was written in the first century, in the middle of the first century, and things are still as jacked up in our culture today as they were then. Today, I'm going to read it out loud. I'm going to ask you to just quietly, you can read along on the screen there. Ephesians chapter 4, I'm just, I'll, you guys can read it on the screen. I'm going to read it right here. Ephesians 4, 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They don't even have any sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you've learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, 
truly righteous and holy. This is the word of the Lord. As you're seated, look at someone next to you and say, let's be renewed. Now just say it to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, renew my thoughts. What Paul is doing is that he's comparing the old us with the new us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says that if we are in Christ, then we have actually become a new creation. That means if you were to send in your spiritual DNA, you were to swab your spiritual DNA mouth, swab your spiritual mouth with, get some spiritual DNA in there and send it off to the lab, it would come back and it would say, wow, you, you have a new DNA. It's not the same DNA as it was before when you weren't in Christ. You're in Christ, you have a new family that you belong to, a new lineage you belong to, a new heritage you belong to. You're not Norwegian, you're from heaven, praise the Lord. <laughs> sorry if you're Norwegian, sorry, picking on you today. Our old identity is, is that we were born into sin. We were born under a curse. You were born with all the, the failings and the, and the frailty of depraved humanity. But when you come into the truth that comes from Jesus, everything changes. You become a new person with a new identity. In Philippians chapter three, Paul says that our citizenship is in heaven. So that means that you're issued a brand new spiritual passport with a new spiritual ID. This is what Jesus was talking about when he said, you must be born again. We're not just born of the flesh, but we're born of the spirit. When you get born again, you don't just run over to the mirror and now you see a halo over your head, okay? That's not how it works. What happened is that something on the inside of you changed because now you are the dwelling place for the Holy Spirit of God. His Spirit now lives on the inside of you. You've been redeemed. When I think about the word redeemed, I think about coupons. Like you redeem this coupon for a free you know, ice cream at Sonic or whatever, I don't know. Do you know you can have a, a killer coupon for whatever? But if you hang on to it and don't do anything with it, it means nothing. You've been redeemed. So you now actually have to do something with that truth and walk in the truth of what it means to be redeemed. It doesn't mean anything for you to, to, for you to just know it. You have to trade it in. Trade in the old life for the new life. Trade in the old identity for the new identity. You've been bought. And the price of which you've been bought is the blood of Jesus. The precious blood of Jesus. Jesus sacrificed himself so that we could be adopted into the family of God with this new identity. I, I, I realize some of you are thinking, man, you are just saying the same things in this message that you were saying the week before and the week before that. When are you going to say something different? When we actually get it. <laughs> like, like I, I, I'm, I'm saying similar things in different ways. But it's so that we need to get this drilled down on the inside of us. To understand it's not just good enough for me to have my Bible and know what it says, but it, what the goal is is to have my Bible know what it says and live what it says. For it to become real in my life. 
for, for it to be evident in my life, not, not reading the scripture to fit my life, but reading the scripture to fit my life into God's word. The process that God restores us to our original purpose, it's called sanctification. You guys heard, heard this term before. You've heard me use this term before. It's, God's, it's the Holy Spirit's process of changing you and morphing you and molding you into the image of Christ. And another word that I can think of that's really good for this is renewal. And so the process is, is that God redeems us, then God renews us so that God can restore us. God has redeemed us. He's, he's paid the price to redeem us. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says that you have been transformed. It's like, I, I think of like, I was telling my daughter this the other day. We were reading this passage, the scripture, uh, Colossians 1, 13. You have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, of whom he, has, of whom he loves, uh, and he has forgiven your sins and loves you. And I was just thinking about a claw machine, you know, <laughs> you know, and God has come and he's, t- he's picked us up out of the claw machine and, you know, dropped us down into the chute. And now we have a new location. We, we're, we're not in the same place. We're not in the same boat. We have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his, his, his dear son. So God redeems us. Then he renews us. This is the part. So he's dropped us out of the claw machine, right? <laughs> he's redeemed us. Now this is the part where he's, he's changing us. He's sanctifying us. He's renewing us. He's morphing us. He's shaping us into the image of Christ so that he can fully restore us to walk in our destiny. Your destiny is directly connected to your identity. And so you need to know, yes, I'm redeemed, but it doesn't just stop there. You know, the, 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 this whole thing of like this idea of like, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you were a sinner, and now you're saved by grace. You have been redeemed, and now you're being sanctified and renewed. And as you are doing that, you are discovering what your eternal purpose is and your eternal destiny is and why God puts you on the earth and the ministry that he's given to you. He renews us. He redeems us, renews us, and restores us. And, and, and we, again, we've talked some about this, but it's worth mentioning over and over and over until we grasp it. And a lot of us get hung up thinking that our identity is determined by our behavior. If your identity is determined by, by your behavior, then your identity, which is who you say you are, who you think you are, it will always be determined by what temptations you give into. I'm going to say that again. Think about that for a second. If your identity is defined by your behavior, then your identity will always be determined by what temptations that you give into. In other words, if you're weak in a specific area, if you have an addiction to something in particular, then you're always going to find your identity in that thing because that's your behavior. And if you think that your behavior determines your identity, then whatever temptation has the strongest pull on your life, it will become your identity. And it will keep you from walking in the full inheritance that God has for you. 
That's where some of us, we, we stop here at the redemption station. Yes, God, thank you that you've redeemed me. But you've not fully stepped into your God identity because this is, you're thinking of behavior before identity. No, identity comes before behavior change. Identity comes before, it's, it's part of the renewal process. And because you never move into this, then you never move into purpose and destiny. This is the strategy of the enemy. The enemy is always wanting to whisper into your ear who he wants you to think you are. Now, the enemy knows who you are. He just is trying to keep you from discovering that. He knows your identity. He just doesn't want you to know your identity in Christ. The most powerful or power-filled moments in our life, the most power-filled moment in our life is when we call upon the name of Jesus, we declare him as the Lord of our life, and we say, Jesus, I'll follow you. You decide to be born again. You surrender your life to follow him. But another power-filled moment in your life is when you truly discover your identity in Christ. And, it, and I wouldn't say that it all just happens in just the snap of a finger, uh, discovering your identity in Christ. It's something that begins to unfold because it's a renewing. It's a renewal process. And as every, it's, it's like, uh, you know, you've, you've got a big sheet over the big surprise, and you start to slowly pull that off, and you start getting a picture of, what is this awesome thing that's under here? It's a new car. No, and you, as you start to slowly pull this sheet off, you're getting this picture of, oh, wow, this is what it means to have my identity in Christ. This is who God's called me to be. In a couple of weeks from now, we're going to have baptisms. And in the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus gets baptized. Jesus' cousin, John, uh, he actually is in the lineage of the high priest, so he actually has some spiritual authority here. He's baptizing people at the Jordan River. And these, this baptism is specifically for the repentance of sins. People are coming to be baptized to say, I want to repent of my sins. I want to be fully devoted to Yahweh. And Jesus shows up to be baptized, which is interesting because Jesus was sinless. So John sees Jesus, and he starts freaking out a little bit. And, and he didn't want to baptize Jesus because he felt unworthy. And he was like, uh, Jesus, you ought to be the one baptizing me. But Jesus didn't come to be, to be baptized to repent of, of his sin because he didn't have any sin. This was a different baptism for a different purpose. So, so John baptizes Jesus. He comes up out of the water. The, God splits the sky. And everyone there hears the audible voice of God. This is, this is not just like, you know, the, the one person in our community that says, I heard God tell me. No, no, everybody, everybody there heard this voice from heaven. And it says, this is my son in whom I well pleased right? This is my dearly beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and, and Jesus, the, here's the deal. Jesus came to be baptized, not to repent, but to reveal to us that he was the fulfillment of baptism. He came to reveal to us our new identity. What happens? Jesus comes up out of the water, 
God splits the sky, and you hear this voice, this is my most dearly loved son in whom I'm well pleased. And if, that, if Jesus was the fulfillment of baptism, then that means God speaks that over you if you are in Christ. He says, Chris, <laughs> you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Heather, you are my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. That's your new identity in Christ if you're in him. We're no, we no longer identify with the sinner that stood dry before entering the water. Instead, we now identify with the son who's been resurrected out of the water, drenched in God's love and his approval, free from the slavery of sin, praise God, and now we are bound to our heavenly father in his kingdom. So Jesus, again, he comes up out of the water, everyone hears the voice of God, then what happens? You guys know what happens? The Holy Spirit comes and visibly descends upon Jesus like a dove. And from that point forward, Jesus, he leaves baptism and he goes into a 40-day period of praying and fasting. And he's, he's, then now he's ready to st- step into his public ministry. Do you see the divine order at work? God's purpose for your life, the ministry that he has planned for you, it comes when you get the revelation of your identity in Christ. Your purpose in Christ is tied to your identity in Christ. Jesus gets baptized. He goes to the wilderness to pray and fast. He's tempted. Talk about that here in a second. But then it was after that is when he stepped into public ministry. There was a divine order that was set up for us to realize and to follow. Oh, I get this now. I'm, I'm a son who's loved by God. God's pleased with me because I'm in Christ. And now I'm going through the renewal process so that I can step into the restoration process and have everything, every part of my purpose and identity in Christ and destiny in Christ restored to me. This is what Paul was explaining to the church in Ephesus. This, you know, this is just kind of what he was saying in chapter 4, the, what we read earlier. He was like, basically, there's no more just empty-headed going along with the mindless crowd. Like, that's not your identity anymore. Anymore. And, and they've refused, the crowd, the world has refused for so long to deal with God, that they've not only lost touch with God, but they've lost touch of reality itself. Does this sound familiar? Paul's, you know, first century Ephesus sounds a lot like 21st century America. People can't even think straight anymore. Like logic is thrown out the door. And, and people don't even feel any, any more shame or moral pain to the point that they let themselves go into all kinds of sexual perversion, all kinds of addictions of all sorts. But Paul's saying, that's no life for you because you now belong to Christ. And he's not saying that to shame people into their identity in Christ. He's saying that so that people's minds and their hearts could be 
the, the roadblock and, and the, the, um, the grip that the enemy had on people's thinking could be shattered and they could, so that they could see what God has been providing for them through Christ. That's no life for you because you, know you now belong to Christ. And because we have Christ as our example, now we don't have any excuse for ignorance. Everything connected to that old way of life has got to go. Why? Because what Paul was saying is that it's totally rotten. Who wants to be walking on a trail somewhere and, and find an apple laying there that is decayed and rotten and disgusting and go, oh, I'll eat this. Nobody does that. Because there's bugs crawling all over it. It's eaten away. It's nasty. If you eat that, it'll make you sick. So what do we do? We get rid of it. And instead, we take on entirely, we entirely, every area of our life, we take on this new way of life fashioned by God himself. It's a life that's renewed from the inside, and it's working its way out into our outer life, into our conduct, as God is reproducing his character in us. Guys, Jesus changes everything. He makes all things new, and that means you. He makes you new. Remember when you wake up in the morning, you know, don't dress yourself in those old rags, those old stinky rags, those old clothes. The old sinful self. Put on the new clothes that are clean and that smell good. They, they don't have holes in them. I'm not talking about cool jeans, you know, cool. You know, they're holy. You got me. And what Jesus has provided for us is a new identity that actually fits you perfectly. They're threaded with righteousness by Jesus, who is the master tailor. When you look in the mirror tomorrow morning, don't look at yourself and say, I'm an addict. I know the truth. I'm just mediocre at best. My life is going nowhere. I work a dead-end job. I've got anger issues. My life means nothing. No, 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 no. Don't say those things. God is at work in your life. He is renewing you. Those things are, do not give you your identity. You're not identified by those things. You have a different spiritual passport. You have a different spiritual DNA. When you look in the mirror, you say, look at that good-looking child of God. And then smolder just for a second. <laughs> I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I have royal blood from heaven flowing through my veins. God has a good plan for my life. I'm God's masterpiece created in Jesus for good works. I'm not Satan's opportunity. I'm his problem. Because the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in me. The systems of this world have told us that our identity is shaped by what we do, but the truth in Jesus says that your identity is shaped by what he has done. And what he has done cannot be undone. Can I give you some good news? What you have done can be undone. Praise God. But what Jesus has done 
cannot be undone. It's eternal. What you're tempted by, whatever your ungodly proclivities are, whatever your carnal bent is, that's not your identity. That's not who you are. Your identity is who you belong to, and who you belong to is Jesus. It's not in what you've done. The world shouts loud that that you must, uh, that, that whatever it is that you feel, then that's what you are. That's what the world shouts. But that's not what God says over you. There's a battle happening on the inside of you. Romans 8 says that the old nature is hostile against God, and it wants to do its own thing. Can anybody relate to that? Or are you guys all just perfect and you don't deal with the old nature? You don't battle anything anymore. Praise God, you are completely restored. Hallelujah. It's just me. Um, listen, that's not the Holy Spirit on the inside of you directing you to lash out on social media. Oh, man, I, I just want to... Uh, uh. I'm not saying... It's not the Holy Spirit on the inside of you to share truth and love, but there's a difference between sharing truth and love and lashing out. It's not the Holy Spirit on the inside of you getting you to send that gossipy text. It's not the Holy Spirit on the inside of you wanting you to hang on to unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. It's amazing what some people will do and the choices that they will make and it's amazing that, the, the, that they won't take responsibility for things in their life because they think that everyone else in their life is, their, it's everyone else's responsibility to make them happy. And like I said, that's the, I, I mentioned you earlier, Joshua. You were out of the room serving children, praise God. But I was talking about how yesterday we were just mentioning, talking about everybody thinks that the, our highest goal in life is our own personal happiness. When that person cuts you off in Old Fort traffic. That's not the Holy Spirit directing you to tell them who's number one. The Holy Spirit is not directing you to show them sign language. That's not the Holy Spirit directing you to blow up at your family in anger. It's not the Holy Spirit directing you to look at pornography. That's the old man. There's this battle that's going on, and all throughout our days, we have a decision to make. Which passport am I going to use? Which spiritual ID am I going to pull out here? Are you going to grab the passport that says struggles with lust and pride, attitude issues, Stubborn, selfish, liar. Or are you going to grab the passport that says child of God, temple of the Holy Spirit, purposed for God's destiny, sanctified, self-controlled, full of peace and goodness? You get to choose which passport you carry. If we go to Genesis, we see that when God created mankind, he had four, four things in mind when it came to our destiny. I want to share those with you before we get out of here today. The first one is this. You can write these down or take a picture of the screen. The first one is this is what God had in mind when he created us. 
God created you to reflect his image. You guys know where at nighttime we see the moon up in the sky and it's all lit up? It's not because the moon emits light. It's because the moon reflects the light of the sun. It reflects the brightness of the sun. Humanity was intended to reflect the image of God to the rest of creation. You know, none of the, animal, none, none of the animals were created in God's image. Maybe you've heard, well, you know, human beings were just, you know, more highly evolved animals driven by our instincts. That's nonsense. That's not true. You are not an animal. You are God's masterpiece that the potter himself crafted and breathed life into so that you could bear the image of God on the earth. God created you to reflect his image. Here's the second thing. God created you for intimacy. One of the best, some of you are like, yeah, God created me for intimacy. You hear that, sweetheart? No. Yes and no. Um, one of the best definitions of intimacy is, is, I think, is this, is that when you invite someone else into your experience, when you invite someone into your experience, like fully, and that's what God did. He invited humankind into his experience of creation. Remember, God didn't name the animals, right? God didn't give them the names. He invited man into his experience. And God said, human beings, my image bearers and reflectors, I want you to name the animals. God invites us into his experience to be close to him, to join him in his work. God created us for intimacy. The third thing, God created you for relationship. In the creation story, the only thing that God said that was not good was, that fact, that was the fact that man was alone. Everything else that he created and did, God said, I've done this, it is good. And then he's created Adam, Adam's doing his thing, and then God says, now, it's not good for man to be alone. God was the first matchmaker. God formed a woman and brought her to him. And the reason that she was called a woman is because when Adam saw her, he was like, whoa, man. No, I'm teasing. Actually, I could go into the etymology of the word woman, but I, that'll take a few minutes and it has nothing to do with the rest of this anyway. God created them with the intent that they would be in an intimate relationship where they would be fruitful and multiply. Some people think that marriage is a man-made institution, but it's not. It was God's idea. It was his plan from the very start, from the very beginning, to perpetuate this genetic code into the earth that reflected his image. God created us for relationship. This is the fourth thing. God created you for destiny. Your destiny is to rule the earth 
and walk in authority over it. We were created to reign and rule over the earth with God. But as man was walking with God, Satan showed up on the scene and deceived Eve. And then Adam was then brought into the deception too. And now, how did Satan challenge Eve in Genesis chapter 3? He got her to question. He said, did God really say that? Did God really say that you couldn't eat of every tree in the garden? What's the enemy testing here? What God said. The enemy is always going to challenge God's word. And here was the follow-up lie. Well, God knows if you eat it, then your eyes are going to be opened and then you're going to be like him. What's that deception built around? Identity. The serpent lied about their identity and challenged what God had commanded. So question, if, if you're already created in the image of God, who are you like? The, the lie wasn't so much about who they would become as it was about who they were not. But they were already like God. But Satan deceived them to thinking there's a whole nother level of freedom. There's a whole nother level of pleasure. And you're never going to experience ultimate freedom and pleasure unless you divide and separate yourself from God and disobey him. That same lie is prevalent in our world today, in our culture today. Oh, you want to experience real freedom? Just do what makes you feel good. Do what makes you feel happy. You really want to know what your identity is? Then do this. And the enemy, he's just using the same tactic over and over and over today, and he's still saying the same thing. Did God really say? There's a whole other level of freedom. There's a whole other level of pleasure, but you can't have it by submitting yourself to God's word. You're going to have to take matters into your own hands. But just like the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when you eat it, it might be sweet to the taste at first, but ultimately it's like poison to your life. Most of the identity issues that we struggle with today don't have anything to do with whether or not we are a good person. It's not because we don't have potential and purpose. It's because at some point we have believed a lie And now our view of ourselves is distorted and broken, and we don't really know who we are. Our image is shattered, and our ability to to be intimate is damaged. And our relationships are fragmented, and our destiny has been hijacked. But the good news (laughs) is that God, through Jesus, has redeemed us. He's renewing us so that he can restore us. Everything that was lost... Going all the way back to the garden, Jesus is restoring, praise God. Believe it. Again, it's not, what did we, we started this morning off by saying, it's not who you are, it's who you think you are. It's what you believe. The truth is, is that God has already done this miraculous work in you, but now you you have to believe it. You have to come into agreement with it. Romans chapter 5 If you've got your Bibles open there real quickly, verse 17. Romans 5, 17. 
If it's quicker for you, you can look at the screen, but I never want you to just take my word for it. It says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Praise God. Somebody say, Praise God. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. J.D., that's really great news. But it sure seems like my old sinful self, my selfish nature is still hanging around trying to trick me into temptation, challenge the word of God. What do I do? What's it going to take? It takes the process of renewal. Listen, paradise restored (laughs) requires a paradigm renewed. You've got to start getting into the word of God and believing what it says. I want to share with you a story. This is um, about 16 years ago or so. There was a, a guy from Maryland. He was a mechanic. And again, this is before Ancestry.com or 23andMe or any of these other companies started popping up. And he just started doing some Ancestry research. And he just started digging down and you know figuring out his family tree and things. And, and he started like, discovering some things that are like, well, this is interesting. Could this really be true? This is serious stuff, like like life, big life implications. So what he did is he even went out and hired like professionals to help him discover whether or not this was true. And sure enough, it was. He was the rightful heir to the throne of the Isle of Man. Now you're like, I've never heard of that. Is that something from Willy Wonka? I don't know. Um, no, it is a, real, is a real place. The Isle of Man is a small self-governing island in the Irish Sea, right between the United Kingdom and Ireland. And, uh, you know, they wear kilts and everything, so they've kind of like got probably Scottish descent, but it's its own self-governing place. And he discovered that he was the rightful heir. Mind-blowing. So he goes to the Isle of Man, him and his family, his wife and his daughter. And uh, he's, he's going around and introducing himself to people and he's having some hard time with this a little bit. People are having some difficulty believing him. Now, not all of the, the government officials because they clearly had proved that and had evidence. And so everybody in the government was like, no, this dude's legit and this is it. But he would go into a pub and they would, you know, it's just like this American dude from Maryland, a mechanic. And he's like, the guy sitting next to him is like, who are you? He's like, I'm your king. <laughs> king of the who? You know, king of the Brits. No. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. If you don't know what that's from, don't worry about it. And, uh, and so he's having a hard time convincing everybody who he is. Now, here's the deal. In order for him to actually step into being king of the Isle of Man, he basically had to leave his, his old life behind in Maryland and move his family there. 
they were not going to allow him to be the king of the Isle of Man and, and keep residence in Maryland and every once in a while jump on a plane and travel 3,500 miles to the Isle of Man. No, 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 that's not how it works. When, when you dis, he discovered his new identity, he had to go all in. He had to fully commit and say, this is now who I'm gonna be. And you know what he did? He hired like uh, etiquette teachers and the, like, Ta- taught him how to be royal. It began to shape his thinking differently, began to shape his behavior differently. He, he got people around him that like, well, this is what it means to be a royal. This is, this is how we do things. If you're gonna be a royal, he could not hang on to his old identity. He, if he was gonna do this and fully walk in, his new identity as the king of the Isle of Man, he had to leave the old way of life behind and fully say, all right, I'm all in. I'm moving. This is the kingdom, not just that I visit, this is the kingdom of where I live. On paper, he was royalty. But again, before he accepted, fully accepted this position, he had to learn the ways of royalty and fully commit to them. And listen, if you're a Christian, and if you're in Christ, then guess what? You're royalty. That's your position and nothing can change that. You are royalty and you are called to rule and reign with Christ, but you've, you've got to, to make a decision that you are going to live in the kingdom. Again, you can't live 3,500 miles away and just visit from time to time. Visit every once in a while. You need to learn what it means to walk like you are in the kingdom of God, to talk like you are in the kingdom of God to think like you're in the kingdom of God, to function like you're in the kingdom of God. And that requires the renewal of your mind. The the, the change in your behavior starts with you changing your thinking and getting a revelation of the change of your position. It's like getting the DNA test back from the mail and finding out the results. Wow, I belong to God's family. I have an inheritance in the kingdom. In Jesus, your position has changed, and now you have to make a decision to now come into agreement about your position through the way that you think because it's not who you are that determines how you feel and act and behave and think. It's who you think you are. It's what you believe. And I always say this. If you really want to know what someone truly believes, you don't ask them, hey, what do you believe about such and such? Yeah, you can start there, but you watch how they live. What do they do? That will show you what someone truly believes. But it starts with the belief. It starts with coming fully, going all in, saying, God, I believe this. I believe that I'm your son. I believe that I'm your daughter. I believe that I'm part of your kingdom. I believe that I have a royal inheritance. The behavior stuff, all that other stuff, it will come into alignment. But if you're trying to do it the other way around, you're always going to end up identifying with your most base temptation. If you think, well, I am what I do. No, no, I am who God says I am through Christ Jesus. Far too many of us are living like on paper, we're royalty, but functionally, you're living like a mechanic. Listen, I'm not downing mechanics. Praise God for mechanics. I need a good mechanic. But you know what I'm saying? There's a difference between a guy who just 
positionally. He's just kind of doing his own thing over here. But he has the inheritance and the lineage, lineage to sit on the throne of a kingdom. And far too many of us are on paper, we're here, but we're living like we're here, struggling, getting by, just barely. It's time that we wash the old stuff all of, off of our hands, step into the kingdom and never look back. It's, it's time to assume the throne of royalty. It's time to renew your thinking. Would you stand with me as we get ready to pray this morning? this over you this morning. Would you just close your eyes and stretch out your hands like in a receiving position. You're ready to receive a renewal of your thinking that God has for you that of, of your identity. With the Lord's authority, I say this. You are no longer going to live like you're hopelessly confused. Your minds are not full of darkness. Your life will not wander far from the life that God gives. Your life will your your mind will not be closed or hardened against God. Your heart will not be hardened against him. You will not live for lustful pleasure. You will not practice every kind of impurity. But you will be in Christ. You will live in the truth that comes from him. You will throw off your old sinful nature in the name of Jesus, your former way of life. You will not be corrupted by lust and deception in Jesus' name, but instead the spirit will renew your thoughts. He will renew your attitudes. So you're going to put on the new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy in the name of Jesus. Listen, this, this guy named David Howell, the mechanic from Maryland, like I said earlier, in order for him to step into what it meant for him to be a royal, he had to surround himself with people to help him. He had to shape, change the way of his thinking. He had to get new information and exchange old information for new information. And if you're gonna do this, it means we're gonna have to make some changes too. It means that we're gonna have to surround ourselves with different people, some of us. It means that we're gonna have to get some new information and exchange it for some old information. You can't, don't expect to just come here and sit on a Sunday and stand and pray with me and walk out of here and it's like, we've got Holy Spirit fairy dust and everything's changed. No, you have a part to play in the renewal process, renewing the way that you think. Commit, go all in. Decide I'm gonna live in the kingdom. 
Well, every once in a while you think about the old kingdom? Yes, but then you remind yourself, wait a second, I'm not a mechanic in Maryland anymore. I sit on the throne. That's who you are. Just a moment, we're getting ready to dismiss the service. Our prayer team, go ahead, if you guys will, go ahead and come forward. Stand across the front here with me. And if you've got a need for prayer of anything in your life today, Maybe you specifically are stirred on this issue of identity and you want somebody to pray with you individually to say, I I just need some prayer for this. I need some help with this. Don't miss this opportunity. Maybe you've got need for prayer in other areas of your life. Don't miss this opportunity. Opportunities pass. Opportunities pass. When you have an opportunity in front of you, seize it. Take advantage of it. Don't wait and say, well, I'll change tomorrow. I'll seek help tomorrow. I'll pray tomorrow. No, do it today. You have an opportunity right in front of you. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus today. Maybe you need to to fully say, yes, I'm ready to step into the kingdom and take off the old sinful nature. Give my life to Jesus. If that's you today, we want to pray with you. As we get ready to be dismissed, some of us are going to be leaving and walking out that way. But if you need prayer, I want you to walk this way and meet with one of my friends here on the prayer team. Here's the benediction for today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And if you agree with that, say amen. Go in peace and in power to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.